Hello and welcome to the Three Things Podcast. I'm your host, George Hooker, and this is episode five. This week, we have our first food-related podcast, talking to Deborah Ryan, who's a chef and writes a column for the Student Irish Times called Student Digest. Deborah's going to tell us three things about student cooking. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how's it going? Good. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a student. I do culinary arts in DIT. Um, I also work as a chef and as a food writer. And um, where did your passion for cooking and food begin? Kind of from an early age, kind of always baked, um, but didn't really take over like cooking that much until I was like a teenager. Um, and it got to a point where everyone was deciding what they wanted to be and I didn't really know. Um, and I had a day where I was watching like Great British Bake Off or like some chef on TV and I realized that I really liked that. Like I remember Rachel Adam was doing one of her TV series Bake and at one point she went off to visit a pastry chef and they had this big production going on. They were all ice and cakes. I kind of like, I, I like, I'd like to do that, like that kind of thing, to do that every day. Um, and so then on, I kind of focused on that. And do you remember the first time that you uh, actually stepped foot in a real kitchen? Yes. Yes. I'm so scared. I um, But I didn't know what I was doing. And they just kind of told me to stand in the corner. It's a really tiny kitchen, three chefs, t- three tiny sections. And um, they just said just stand there they'd call me over so often every so often tell me what they were doing um but i then started cooking in an actual kitchen a few months later when i started in the bali malu house restaurant mm-hmm. um there's a lot of things going on a lot of chefs everywhere and like a lot of buzzing around um and i didn't really know where to put myself first and what's it like uh being in a real kitchen environment it's loud uh people are going all around you and because it's a whole thing about you know, accident, accidents can happen. So people are shouting like backs to get out of the way and you have to hop out of the way. And, or like there's all these different like code words. Like I worked in a kitchen once where you had to, to go into the back kitchen. You had to follow along this path. So, so you have to say backs going in and then you turn around the corner, you have to shout corner. And so you had like 10 chefs going in for lunch saying backs corner. It's just like a very loud environment. Um, people are really gruff they're like it's all about having no personal space with people needing their own space it's just it's such an odd place and is it as glamorous as it looks on TV no it's absolutely not it's it's early mornings and it's going as fast as you can um, and it's like doing a lot more steps that you don't really see and it could be like chopping onions for an hour to get something ready or like it's not really a glamorous job um and it's kind of idealized a bit, but it's still like a really nice job to have. Like it's a nice thing to get like stuck into. And once you get into that rhythm, once you find that pace where you kind of manage your stress a little bit and you find that good spot between, let's say, especially in service where it's mad busy, but let's say you're working with someone else and you're in a groove, like there's nothing better than that. It's such a rush. Like you finish at like whatever time in service ends and you're on a buzz. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really, really great feeling. Yeah, and you're feeding people, which... Yeah, which is nice as well. Um, I kind of always had... There is this... I think there is anyway, like a front and back of house disconnect between like the diners. You kind of still have this thing of like, this is the dish. I need to plate it up exactly like this. And this is going to taste good. But it also feels weird to think that this is going to go out to a table and someone is going to eat that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always found it odd to kind of connect those together. together but it's not like you're just throwing things on a plate you're still like creating it's kind of like making a piece of art or something Mm -hmm. piece of art that gets eaten that gets eaten destroyed yeah yeah. tell us a little bit about your column 
So it is a student recipe column in the Irish Times and it comes out every three weeks and it's one recipe that's simple and easy to do, very few ingredients. Um, I put a little bit about the recipe or the kind of backstory to the recipe beforehand. Is there a reason you chose uh, chose student cooking as your column subject? Yeah, I think I found there was definitely a gap because if you go into a bookstore, if you find any student cookbooks, they're really shiny and all the recipes inside, they're never actually recipes you would cook. It's hard to kind of find that marriage of cheap food that's like doable, like as in like you could have a recipe for burgers, but like it'll make four burgers, it'll take you two hours to make and kind of what's the use in that. Um, so I wanted to make like a platform you to get like easy recipes that won't take forever to make even though they're cheap it's just that kind of so that balance of practicality and you know and cost as well um because i was making all these recipes where um like i found i could make them really cheaply or I, what had happened was i'd have friends or like my siblings would call me up and they're like i'm in the supermarket i have nothing in my cupboard what should i make tonight um and i have no idea what they want but i'd still like list off what i had made the week before like after coming up from college, being tired, it kind of came from that. I'd been thinking about doing a blog for a while um, because I had so many of those phone calls or texts or like someone just getting on to me you saying, were the guru. The though. guru. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know what you want for dinner, <laughs> but here's what I had last night and I liked it. Um, so it came out of that and um, went for the Irish Times because I felt... How, how did you approach the Irish Times? Um, so I had an idea. So on the student hub of the Irish Times you get a free subscription as a student um, for the entire Irish Times but on the student hub they always say that they're looking for articles and looking for more contributors and I had it in my back in the back of my head that I wanted to do a blog or something like that and I figured that if I had a blog I'd never update it and I'd just forget about it I'd get embarrassed by it so I would just leave it in the corner the second I put one post up and um, so it was like one of the summers where I wasn't working 60 hours a week as a chef uh, so I had a bit of time, so I put a few recipes together, some things I'd learned in kitchens or that I'd been making for a while and didn't put any like recipe or any pictures with it, just sent it into the editor and he came back and he said he wanted to do it every three weeks and I've been doing it since then. Fantastic. So we asked you to bring in three things. Um, what are your three things? So my three things are ingredients, cupboard essentials and cooking. Okay, so ingredients. Um, what is What is up with ingredients? Like where do we start? I always find it very confusing when I look at recipe and I see deconstructed cumin on the list. Yeah, and like things that you have no idea where you can get those. Mm. But um, yeah, so I think with ingredients, start with what you know, what you've cooked with before or like what your parents cooked with. Um, like let's, if you're going shopping to start with ingredients that you know you'll use in your house. Um, what kind of ingredients like salt and butter yeah get some like nice sea salt and have like black pepper in a grinder get like extra virgin olive oil instead of some off brand pomace olive oil and just why, why get the extra virgin is it so extra virgin olive oil is the first pressing of olives and it's the the best quality you can get it's like it's um, has more flavour to it it's just a better quality pomace is actually like the the dredge olive mm-hmm. oil. You can just go like the lower you go, the less quality there is. And you can get cheap extra virgin olive oil. It might may not be the best. Like it's it's actually mad to get a really good bottle extra extra virgin olive oil costs like twenty quid. Mm. Like 
when I have enough money, I will buy 20 quid olive oil. But at the moment, I won't. And I'll just get like one that costs a few euro. But I still try and get that. The extra virgin. virgin. Yeah. yeah. What other kind of ingredients should everybody kind of stock up on? Yeah. Have some things in the cupboard that you can just make a meal out of. Or like if you could just add a few things, like have tins of tomatoes, coconut milk, lentils, um, any of those kind of things. Like dry goods, like your rice, pasta. So uh, are there any ingredients um, that we should all embrace a bit more? Um, Definitely fresh vegetables. And let's say if you're cooking for one, go a place like Little where they have, you can buy like singular vegetables instead of large packets of them. Mm. Um, And then just get creative, like roast vegetables. It's probably like one of the nicest things you can make for dinner. You just put them on a tray, roast them with olive oil, salt and pepper. And you can add that to kind of any kind of carbohydrate you want or just eat them on your own. And it's so simple to do. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever I get vegetables, they always end up going off in the fridge yeah. after a while. It's just that whole thing of you want to get like whole variety of vegetables. You might like buy three or four, but you might end up like using two and the other two go off. And like it's, it happens all the time, but maybe just buy the two and then go back to the shop and buy the other two. Like that's, I always like the sad things I've seen in a fridge in like student apartments because <laughs> you just go yeah I want carrots and I want that aubergine I'll get courgettes as well but I'll only eat one of those courgettes like food waste is a big problem as well and it's like mm-hmm. you don't <clears> think <throat> when you're buying those food that you'll go off you're like no 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 I'm going to eat like 10 vegetables a day for the next three days that's it but um, yeah it's just keeping an eye on it and kind of knowing what you'll go through mm-hmm. maybe don't buy a kilogram of carrots yeah no gosh or potatoes that will sprout in the cupboard yeah yeah, yeah. you have some kind of living tentacle monster <laughs> yeah. in the uh, in the cupboard uh, are there any ingredients that we should avoid um, I think the really processed foods so your weird like already cooked sliced meats or packet soups with like really like a load of additives and high salts mm-hmm. um, it might seem harder that you can make those things yourselves but there's actually just like a lot cheaper ways and, and kind of better few ways to make them mm-hmm. so yeah it's still clear of like processed food what's bad about processed food um, so you kind of have a lot of corporations that would have dedicated labs just to make up like one flavor or powder and you kind of end up eating this synthetic food that's and by buying it, you're kind of helping these large corporations instead of like buying the fresher like meat or vegetables where you could be like helping a small scale farmer or something like that. Mm-hmm. How do you get the best stuff on a budget? Like, should we all be going to Little and Aldi or buying yeah. it in bulk? Or I don't think you should buy it in bulk. Again, like your potatoes will just sprout in the counter. Or like if you get a, like the idea that you buy in bulk sounds great. But also as a student for one and like living in an apartment, you're actually not going to go through all that food as well. And like student schedules change as well. You can like go be going out two nights of the week. So you actually don't need to spend three hours cooking or you could have a long day at a lecture. So it's more that just it might cost a little bit more, but it's kind of better to buy in small increments. Mm -hmm. So and what about intolerances? You know, a lot of people are, uh, you know, there's a lot more people who are avoiding gluten and that kind of thing. Like, do you think that's, uh, is it a craze or is it uh, for real? I don't think it's a craze. I think it's actually just that there's more research coming out now and maybe before, like let's say decades ago, people still have these intolerances, but they just weren't found out. Mm-hmm. Some of it is more of a health buzz, which like I don't really have an issue against. Someone wants to go off dairy, like that's fine. Um, the big thing about nutrition is just making sure that you get the nutrients back 
that um, if you stop eating dairy products to make sure that you get calcium and vitamin D from mm-hmm. other places. Same with if you go vegetarian to make sure you get like vitamin B12, which can only be found in animal products, um, and get protein from other sources. Vitamin B12 can only be found in animal yeah, products. Yeah, I think there's some plant product where you can get vitamin B12. I think it is just mostly from animals. So you can get supplements, but... Um, Vitamin B is like vital for humans as well. And we need to get it from animal products. Like that's something that you can be deficient on. It's a big problem. Right. Okay. So thing two, cupboards. What are they and what do we put in them? Yeah. So um, I found that when I went to my first student apartment or like if I'd visit friends or like any of my siblings, it's just like very grim on the inside. You could rock up and there'll be nothing. You have no pots, no pans, no cutlery, um, not even like a cup of tea really shoddy pans and plates that has still have marks on them from years ago and you're paying thousands for mm-hmm. student accommodation. It's kind of mad. But it's more just making sure that you spend a little bit of money to stock up in this equipment just to make cooking easier. Like you can go around cooking with very few things. So what are the key pieces of equipment that uh, everybody should have in their kitchen? I think you should have like a wooden spoon for stirring so you're not using like a fork to scrape a pan or anything like that. Um, you should have at least one good knife just because um, what it's really important to have a sharp knife. You're more likely to cut yourself with a blunt knife than a sharp knife. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, a blade can slip and just like cut your hand easily. Um, and it's worth like even if like spending around a good knife, you want to spend like 15 to 20 euro if it takes getting a few people to chip in for that or else like buy it yourself, try and take some good care of it and like keep it for a few years having things like your own mug to have like something that is like your own part of the home you're kind of normally in these sterile apartments Mm -hmm. so it's nice to have something that is your own what is in your cupboard at home right now oh loads of spices i kind of have a thing about spices so i got a few herbs or spices going on um i have things like tamari and rice noodles and it's kind of one of those cupboards that you look at and you're like, I can't make anything out of this. But then once you think about it, you can actually like, no, I can make noodles with this and I should get grab this and this and I'll make a meal together. Um, but yeah, I need to stock up a bit. Actually, it's a bit grim at the moment. Uh, so uh, how do we use like, for example, why is a wooden spoon? Why can't I use a fork? Um, well, actually, kind of what happens if you use metal cutlery against a pot, you end up like kind of scraping the microfibers within the pot and then that can, that can add into your food. And it's just better to use like a wooden spoon or any kind of utensil that won't scrape. Mm-hmm. And also like you're cooking eggs, like let's say if you're making scrambled eggs, like it's really hard to make it with, like you can with a fork, but you kind of have this weird scraping motion. <laughs> and it's just easier to get it out of the pan. And it's just kind of something I've always done. And it was just probably the first thing I bought when I got into my like apartment that I went to college and on the way home I went to deals. I spent 150 on a spoon. And when you say a sharp knife, you're not talking about, you know, Victorian knives. You're talking about a proper sharp kitchen knife. Well, Victorian knives, they were like my first kitchen knives. They're not bad. Like, they're actually, like, pretty respected. But, like, yeah, just like a normal knife to have. Um, and then it's worthwhile trying out a few ones to see how they feel in your hand. Because you can get, like, a giant knife that's just a bit too clunky for your wrist and then or like if you have really small hands using a smaller knife with a smaller blade mm-hmm. um, it's just all about like the ergonomics of it and like how it feels to use are there any uh, equipment tips or tricks that you have 
advice for how to maintain these knives, for example? Yeah, so don't put your knives in the dishwasher. It's very doubtful that you have a dishwasher in your student kitchen because it's usually just war of the dishes. But, um, so yeah. Instead, just put it in with all the other dirty stuff. Oh, like never put a knife in the sink because then that'll even be more gruesome. But yeah, you just don't like make sure that um, you wash your utensils straight away, especially if they've cut, like touched anything like raw meat. Just make sure that you've used like hot water and soap just to clean them properly. Um, if you um, leave a stack of dishes, it's probably best just to do the equipment and like all of your bits in your cutlery first and then just leave the stock of stack of dishes to the side. What should we throw out from our cupboards other than the um, tentacle potatoes and the 10 boxes of empty cereal? Um, I don't know. Do I, do I still need my uh, George Foreman grill? Oh, yeah. Like as in, you don't need all of those like high-tech equipment. It'll just take up space. And like you're living in a small enough space as it goes. Um, and you won't use them as often as you think you do. Like you might have that smoothie maker, but, you know, if you use it once a month, but it's taking up counter space or you have like the glasses from it just lying around, it's more of a pain. Mm-hmm. You don't really need it as much just to do some basic cooking. And it's pretty it's pretty political uh, sharing a kitchen with other students, right? Yeah, it gets very intense sharing cooking times, like people taking like other people's food just gets very very dark so what's like the difference between a professional kitchen and a student kitchen um i'd say the uh, aggression is pretty much the same but um like yeah a student kitchen is so much more relaxed like as in it's someone throwing together like pot noodle on one side and somebody else making like pancakes on the other or something Whereas um, a professional kitchen, everyone has to work as a team. It's very silent. There's no chugging cans going along. All right. So what is your thing three today? Thing three is cooking. So, um, I mean, let's start with recipes. Uh, recipes are pretty scary. When I look at a recipe, I'm like, usually like, what the heck is, you know, how do I, how do I sweat an onion? What does that even mean? Hot box. No, it's more, um, yeah, a lot of recipes these days have a certain vocabulary that has just been accepted. And you kind of need a glossary to go through all of the terms. And, um, yeah, it can be hard. And if you don't know how to do something, like, you might just say straight away, I'm not going to do that. I don't understand what's going on. Or that said, I need to cook that for an hour and I don't have an hour. Almost all of the recipes are something that I've made in the last week or in the last month or else they're recipes I made in professional kitchens and adapted them to like cooking at home. And yeah, usually I'll make something and I go, that didn't take that much effort. That was actually fine. It didn't cost me much money. So the next time for the column, I'll test it. And usually I have my computer beside me, have an eye on the clock so that I go along, add the ingredients as I go and then just kind of time time it. So I try and bring it to break, break it down to what I'm essentially doing and try and make it as simple as possible. So can you tell us some like easy food that isn't frozen pizza? Yeah, so things like making vegetable curries or like making beans on toast from scratch. Uh, or just even simple pasta dishes where you just threw, throw a few like veg in there. Um, it's a lot easier and kind of cheaper than just kind of surviving on frozen pizza for a while. I knew a friend of a friend actually got scurvy from eating frozen pizza for a year. Scurvy. Scurvy. I don't know if it's just a big rumor. As but in the like 18th century Yeah, you know, lack of vitamin C thing, you know? <laughs> but apparently he just ate frozen pizza every single night and rocked up with scurvy. Uh, there you go. So um, one way to avoid scurvy is... Not eat frozen pizza. Not cook for yourself. Yeah. yeah. 
eat some oranges, kiwis. Um, and a lot of your recipes, uh, you don't use meat. No, I don't. Um, it's mostly a personal thing. I'm not a vegetarian, but um, I kind of know the cost of getting good quality meat, let's say free range chicken, and it's just kind of out of my budget. Um, so I kind of tend to just get different protein sources. And also, like if I go out to eat, I'll, meet, I'll get meat then. And um, like I know I'll kind of get it then, I'll pay that money. But yeah, it's kind of hard to include it. And also, big thing as well is that I've lived with a lot of like grimy students and the idea of them like handling kitchen like equipment and raw meat, but then not cleaning it properly kind of freaks me out a little bit. So I think it's almost safer to stay a little bit away from it. And also with the recipes in the column, it's more like of an alternative if you don't want to eat meat. And most of the recipes are ingredients that won't go off as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've got some like grim stories about like, let's say even like if you're cooking for one and you buy two steaks in a packet. My boyfriend's roommate got two steaks, cooked one one night and put the open packet of steaks back into the fridge. And he then moved out like two weeks later, like didn't cook again. And my boyfriend went to open the fridge door and this like monster was in like in front of him. It was alive. It was alive. It had like, it was a steak that had like doubled in size and like blue moulds that he had forgotten to take out. And the guy actually ended up coming back the next day to like collect something. And my boyfriend was like, like, bro, like, what's in the fridge? And he was like, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. So he puts on these rubber gloves, removes the steak from the fridge, puts it into the bin bag, ties it up, and then he gets a can of Febreze, opens the fridge, sprays it into the fridge, and closes the door. And he's like, just leave her for a riot, just Febreze it, it's fine. <laughs> like, he had sanitized it. So, uh, Febrezing your fridge, is that on your list of tips and tricks? That's, that's on the list of don'ts. Okay. <laughs> Um, but what about the chicken fillets that you get in those rolls? Are they any good? No, they wouldn't be. They would be really low quality, like battery hens. Like that's one of the reasons I like, I don't only eat free range or organic chicken, but that is really expensive to buy. Mm. So it's definitely a treat. But yeah, no, those are like mass produced chicken. Not great at all. Mm. Yeah, seasoned with misery. Yeah. And like, again, like... um talking about processed food all of that coating is made by like factories and by these corporations again it's not really like they like these like seasonings have been created in labs to be exactly what you want them to taste like and they can make like a thousand kilos and they all taste the same it's like very insane it's a huge industry Mm -hmm. mcdonald's could say like i want exactly this flavoring i want this to be in it and i want to taste like this and they'll just do it no problem like it's very, it's very insane. It's a really dark industry. It's almost like uh, chemistry than cooking. Yeah, that's it. Um, sometimes um, packaging as well can be a bit misleading. You know, made in Ireland, and that doesn't necessarily mean that mean that the yeah, like reading packaging is a really important part. Like you kind of have to like look at the ingredients um, and kind of see where the food is from as well. Um, and sometimes isn't that obvious? Like Den- a story came out about Denny's last week that. Um, they had this cooked chicken that said made in Wicklow, but in actual fact, the chicken's from Brazil and that they fly it over and like the chicken must be so cheap for the cost of flying it over from Brazil to be cheaper than getting it from Ireland. It's it's kind of mad. Um, and it's what's worth as well as looking at labels and looking at the ingredients. So as the as you read the ingredients, the first ingredient is going to be the most. It's going to be the highest in there. So if sugar is the first ingredient and then like salt, it's not really going to be that great for you. Mm-hmm. So it's good keeping an eye out for that. 
Uh, there, it does feel like there's a bit of a disconnect between us and actual like the the source of the food. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? It's so hard to like kind of bridge that again. And like, let's say in our or like in Dublin, especially, there's even smaller like all the markets are closing at this stage. It's harder to go out and find producer. Like if you go into any cafes in Dublin, like most of the ingredients are from McNally's mm. and um, in North Dublin. Like that's nice because you can go out there. And you can pick the vegetables and you can shop in their in their farm shop. But that's kind of like the number one place you think of. It's also one of the only places you think of mm-hmm. in terms of like getting fresh vegetables. And it's you kind of you're used to getting your vegetables ready to go cleaned in a package covered in cling film. And there definitely needs to be something connected in between those. One too many steps between the farm and the yeah. plate. There's yeah. like a few good places around Dublin that are like... Um, like there's this restaurant in Mount Mary and Michaels and they get fish fresh from the boat. They could get it in at 11 o'clock and by 12 o'clock they have it on the menu, like prepped to go. And that fish was in the sea that day. Mm-hmm. Like that's nice to see as well. Why is freshness so important? Just like deteriorate, deterioration in quality as well. Like as in you could have food that has additives to make it last forever, like bread sitting on a supermarket shelves for months and never going off. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's more of just that kind of, it feels more handmade, that there's a better connection to the food. Because, like, at the moment, food production is so alternative now that people don't really know where their food is coming from. Mm-hmm. So do you have any simple tips just to improve cooking? Like, let's say I'm making beans on toast. How can I make beans on toast slightly better? I don't know. Beans on toast pretty good. And so, but like uh, to make the cooking experience better, it doesn't have to be that you have to go stand in your kitchen for half an hour and create, like, just make this food. You can like, I don't know, I usually like call my mom if I have like a lot of cooking to do or like I'll put some music on um, and just get some of the dishes on and then start cooking again or like watch a recipe beforehand like there's a lot more enjoyable ways of cooking or like if there's a food that you really like and you want to try making it just look up the recipe like surf around a bit and try and find the a recipe that would like adapt to your time a big part of it though is as well as overcoming that can't be bothered feeling yeah because like i'm i'm really busy i've got a part-time job i've got lectures and like students are like busy they have a lot to juggle you're not living this nine to five lifestyle where you know you have a few hours off every evening and then two days off of the weekend mm-hmm. so like i have this big range of dishes i can cook but a lot of them like take hours to cook and they're part of like working in a professional kitchen where you have hours of prep to do so kind of when i get home do i want to go and cook for an hour so a lot of the recipes are based on me saying i think i'd like this this won't take that long to cook and I'm actually bothered to cook it. Mm-hmm. Better to cook something simple than it is to not cook at all. Yeah. Um, and I find like the odd time I get into my head that I want to make this recipe, but I end up cooking and staying in my kitchen for three hours, which is like, it's a really tiny kitchen and there's loads of dishes left over afterwards and I'm just tired and I don't want to work afterwards. But uh, yeah, you can actually just make really simple dinners really quickly. And it doesn't take that much to cook. Like as in, like a really basic meal I would do if I'm like really tired is like get some broccoli and like stir fry in a pad with like soy sauce or something and cook noodles on the side and put those together or like and put an egg on top like most of my recipes like where like patting out any food is putting an egg on top <laughs> like that's most that's like probably the baseline of my cooking just putting an egg on top just finishing off the meal that's enough there's some protein there we go um, and then cooking for one like I'd say most students are cooking for one yeah most are cooking for one 
Um, and you can batch cook if you like. I'm not really a big fan of it just because I get sick of like meals very quickly. But some people love the same it. thing every day. Yeah, um, and you can like change it up a little bit. But I also kind of I don't know. I have this thing in my head that I don't want to eat five of them, five different lunch boxes of food like straight away. But um, yeah, what I usually do is make enough for two people and then have some for dinner and then pop the rest in for lunch the next day. And you can bring that to college. How do you make your recipes accessible? Um, in terms of writing them or like... Writing them and like a lot of recipes would have lots of complicated steps and stuff like, uh, you know, terminology that you wouldn't normally see and um, ingredients that you wouldn't normally see or maybe you'd only use once and it's like, why am I going to go and buy yeah, this stuff? Yeah, never use it again. And then yeah, um, yeah, I definitely try and avoid that anyway because like... I hate that. Like I see, I saw a recipe the other day that was for students that was supposed to be cheap. It had like miso in it, like a packet of miso. You get like a big, it's a big packet of it. It's like six or seven euro. The recipe was for like 10 grams of it. And it's like, you can wrap it up and it'll keep for a while, but I don't want to have to keep using my little bag of miso forever. Um, so I try and cut out ingredients like that, unless you're going to use, unless they'll stay in your cupboard like spices. Like, I don't really use it that often, or unless it's things you already have. Um, but usually I actually send the recipe to two or three different, like, student friends and get them to go through it. And if they don't understand it, they'll just let me know and they'll, like, back it up and I'll explain it a bit more. Should, do, you, do you see food as, like, nutrition or do you see it as, uh, as pleasure? Um, I think of it as both. I think there's definitely, like... Um, like, let's say if you're feeling sick or anything, I think there's definitely a place for, like, making hot soup or something like that to make you feel better and that's also like getting your vitamins in like it's such an easy way your to for your body to absorb all the nutrients you need like that um and getting to know a bit more about nutrition as well is really handy um but then it's also like a pleasure thing i think it's almost like when you're at home you should try it in some way anyway to get all the nutrients you need in there um or just try and have a very diet but when you go out definitely make it about pleasure and go for like those few extra things they wouldn't have at home where that like what i quite like about going out to dinner is that you're eating food that you wouldn't make at home that you wouldn't spend hours like these chefs are in a kitchen cooking for hours and i just make you this like one dish and i kind of like the idea that i'll never go to that bother at home in my tiny kitchen to make it but um yeah it's a nice experience to have it students quite often give themselves food poisoning especially around deadlines yeah i actually i've never had food poisoning um so i I can't really experience it but again it's like the whole thing about meat and i also find it hard to express in writing how to cook your meat properly like so that's another reason why i don't um say it that often because like i know when it's done but also I find it's very unglamorous to, you know, be like, cut your chicken open. If it's white on the inside, then you're safe. You're in the safe zone then. I also don't want to take it to my own hands for like, you know, getting students out of their exams. But um, yeah, so it's just like really cook your food properly. Like if you're reheating food, that's a big thing to like, you need to bring it up to like piping hot. Um, and rice is actually a reason that people get food poisoning a lot, like reheating rice. rice. Yeah, rice is a big thing. There is... Um, some kind of bacteria and rice that you get in a lot of takeaways. And so, like, a lot of people get loads of rice and they just use it the next day. Like, it's a big no-no that, like, um, like that the this bacteria can live in the rice. And so even if you reheat it properly, it'll still be there. Like, that's a big thing. 
I think out of like takeaway poisonings, that's one of the highest reasons. Rice. I did not know that. Yeah. I guess because it soaks up all the water. With yeah. The, and like the way that it's cooked as well or how long it's left as well. Um, That's a big thing that the length that you leave your food out. Like if you leave your food like a chicken curry on the counter all day and it gets to this, there's a danger zone between five degrees and 63 degrees, which is like the the best time for bacteria to grow so that's like your room temperature is what 21 degrees so if you left your chicken curry out all day your the bacteria would grow so it's really important to like cool your food down quickly after if you're not going to eat it cool it down quickly pop it into the fridge like cover it and then the next day if you're going to reheat it again make sure you reheat it to like boiling point almost like you can need to get to 72 degrees to kill off bacteria how do you know that you're at 72 degrees you kind of need to know with eyeball um, it I need to know like with a thermometer, but nobody has a thermometer on them as a student. But um, <laughs> they barely have wooden spoons. Yeah, barely have wooden spoons. But like, definitely not lukewarm, and like way too hot to touch. And like, yeah, if you could boil it for a while, like not so much that you'll turn into leather, mm-hmm. but so you know that like because boiling is a hundred, and so if you kind of bring it up to there, um, for like a few seconds, then you're kind of in the safe zone. Then. Um, so we've talked a lot about cooking and cooking at home, but every now and again, it is nice to go and get a meal out. So are there any places in Dublin that you would recommend? Yeah, um, there's a good few places at the moment that are very good um, budget wise for students because I kind of tend to go out and blow out my student budget. Bourgeois <sighs> eating. I've been I've been living off three euros since Tuesday and I'm not getting paid till Saturday because <laughs> um, I went out for dinner last week and I'm really paying for it with my three euro I can't afford a coffee or anything um, like at least I that's didn't... real student living right I did my food shop and I got a bag of coffee like right before the, like the weekend so I'm actually kind of okay hmm. um, but I'm getting paid for soon so that'll be fine um, but yeah going for yeah going for brunch place like that because you're kind of spending like 15 quid max for like a meal and like what I like to do if I have a day off and I need to do a lot of work I normally take myself out for brunch get a coffee get a dish and any good places you'd recommend um, like BB's in Portobello is quite nice um, Gertrude has just opened up in Pier Street and that's quite good um, Storyboard and Island Bridge is there any kind of definitive piece of advice or tip that you would like to give to a student who's about to get scurvy from eating frozen pizza for six um, months? Um, yeah, like cooking doesn't have to be that complicated. If there's like just one vegetable that you really like or if there's just like, just like look up a recipe or look up a really simplified version of it it's not as like it's not an hour of cooking you can have food in 15 minutes that's still nutritious that hasn't used a lot of dishes and you're kind of good to go for the rest of the uh, can you tell us a little bit about like your approach to writing these articles yeah um well just definitely for the start of the article um i had a lot of inspiration from different columnists i've been reading over the years um, one columnist was um, is Sophie White for the Sunday Independent. She writes for Life magazine, and I would have read like those years ago when I was still in school. That um, she kind of talked about her week in passing, and that like she called her husband himself, and her mother was herself. And it was all the kind of drama that went on during the week, and I just really enjoyed it's that very personal. Yeah, and it kind of like delved in there, and I liked kind of seeing that little like picture of the week. Um, 
And then another writer I read a lot is read a lot is uh, Rachel Roddy. She writes at the Guardian. She lives in Rome. And um, when I worked in Rome, I actually got to meet her. We went on a trip to Abruzzo with her. And I remember my head chef explaining like the way that she wrote that she tells a story and then brings it into an article. And I kind of always liked that. So when I started the column, I tried to keep that same thing of telling a story and then bringing in a recipe. Mm. And it's a bit humorous and it's a bit sarcastic. Yeah, I don't want to just say like, this is a courgette. This is what a courgette should look like. I just kind of want to bring it in like some context. I'm not just picking a recipe out of anywhere that like, there might be some backstory to why I made it. Like if like I make the chicken noodle soup, I was dying of being sick that, that week. I had the flu and I just wanted chicken noodle soup. So I just made that to make myself feel better. Um, and then in the article, like go on about how I'm feeling sorry about myself <laughs> in Wonderwall. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I said, I kind of want to put in a humorous story and then lead it onto a recipe to kind of make that gap between an inaccessible recipe and something that's like seems doable. Yeah, make it a little, uh, you know, juicier than uh, yeah. just a straight up boiled eggs and. Um, and do you have any other anecdotes, uh, student cooking anecdotes? A friend, oh, like I like you, you hear about students where their parents send them up to college every week with food already cooked for them, like a week's worth of containers that they put in the freezer and they just like microwave away. Um, like I just found that so odd that like they wouldn't need to cook food at all. They're just like, my mom made me this and now I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's like yeah. I'm still having packed lunches from like being a kid. A lot of students, it's kind of like their first time. Uh, first time away, and they have no idea what they're doing. Um, actually, having good food can be a big comfort in that. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, it's just if you get, if you master one recipe, you're kind of already there. If you can make the one dish, whatever it is, and you know you can make the like nice, you can change that around. You can adapt that recipe to like make it better or just add in different ingredients. Mm-hmm. And like that can just be your one thing you can cook. So even if you eat out the other nights of the week, but just as long as one time you make this one nice recipe, it's kind of a good start to have. So thanks for coming. You brought us three things about uh, cooking for students. Uh, We talked about ingredients, cupboards and cooking. You also brought us a recipe that we're going to attach to the podcast notes. Yeah, so it's chicken noodle soup for one, which is quite nice. So it's... um, You make like a coconut milk stock um, solution almost and you poach your chicken breast in there. And then once the chicken is cooked, you take it out and you kind of shred that. And in the meantime, you cook all your vegetables in the same stock and then add your um, chicken back in with your noodles and you kind of have this one pot that's ready to go. Okay, so uh, you can check that out in the podcast notes. What's your next article going to be about? Next article is going to be for breakfast. Be first, I'm including breakfast in there, trying to fit it around students' schedules. And um, basically, the article is off a recipe called Gratitude Granola that my mom loves to make from a cookbook called The Mystic Cookbook. The Mystic Cookbook. Mystic Cookbook, yeah. My mom is a gluten-free, dairy-free, vegetarian, FODMAP follower, Tai Chi artist, health shop worker, which is a lot going on. So she has this mystic cookbook and there's a recipe for gratitude granola about where the writer was saying how she was wandering around her kitchen looking for something to feed and nourish her soul. And all she had was frozen pizza. It just 
wasn't going to nourish her. So she goes to her cupboard and she finds that she has all 20 ingredients needed to make her gratitude granola. And she was so <laughs> grateful for this granola. And it was just the best thing to happen to her. So I came home. My mom's showing off her gratitude granola. That you have to eat it with gratitude. Um, I'm not allowed to eat it apparently. I'm too snarky and I'm not grateful for it. It's actually fine. So that's why I'm making a muesli instead of granola. Don't need to be grateful for that. Gratitude muesli. Gratitude muesli, yeah. Uh, Brilliant. That's a great note to leave it on. So uh, with gratitude, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. That was episode five of Three Things. We talked ingredients, cupboards, and cooking. Next week, we're going to be talking to Evan McNamara, who's a stop-motion animator, and he's going to tell us three things about his world of animation. So be sure to check that one out, and uh, see you next week, and thanks for listening.